0: for a little more than two months, Um, and so knowing we would have some uh, visitors this morning and folks coming here from the lake, uh, it's been a little stressful thinking about how how do I get us all up to speed where we are in the middle of this argument that the Apostle Paul is making. I have described Romans chapter 7 as Paul the Apostle's Psalm 51. Uh, and psalm 51 is by far my favorite psalm and it's my favorite psalm because it does so many things for me as a man as a critical thinker it's this beautiful psalm of the king of the land expressing and writing a song for the people to sing about his sin now whatever what king would ever ever do that say, hey, listen, you know, for uh, July 4th when we celebrate my inauguration, I want you to sing a song about the woman I committed adultery with and her husband that I killed. Well, that's not all the song is about. It's about how the Lord did not let him get away with it. It's about how a gracious, loving father said what david did it, it seemed he had gotten away with it he married the woman it seemed that that it was going to be okay and yet the lord sends nathan the prophet to confront him and david writes this song about it about the lord's compassion and his mercy uh, i believe romans 7 is that for paul the apostle it is him he has expressed uh, the need of the gospel in the first three chapters of romans He really recounts every possible type of human religion, man-made religion, and and explains that none of them will set you free from your sin and your bondage. None of them will work. All of them fail. And even those who deny religion have created in their own hearts a religion. Schaefer, French Schaefer, talk about this all the time, that, that if any human being had just a tape recording of all the judgments that they've ever made, whenever a human being says you shouldn't do this, or that was unfair, or I can't believe they said this about me or did this about me, he said if any human being just had all of those statements recorded and then played back before the throne of God, they would be found guilty by their own judgment. And so... Uh, The Apostle Paul starts his gospel presentation to the Christians in Rome by saying there is no other hope outside of Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 4, he talks about the beauty of our salvation. It was chapter 4 and 5 that led Martin Luther. Who wrestled with this? uh, Am I ever going to be saved? Am I ever going to feel like I belong and that I'm secure before God? He would beat himself over his own sins. It was three, chapter chapter four and five that led him to this beautiful, kind of a renewed understanding, although Augustine had it before him and the fathers had it before him, but really a return to this beautiful truth that we are declared righteous by faith alone, by grace alone through Christ alone and for the glory of God alone. And then the five solos of the Reformation came out of that. And so the Apostle Paul has done that to us. And then when he gets to chapter 5, he closes chapter 5 by really introducing the the use of the law of God. And he says, the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, it's beautiful, grace abounded all the more so that as sin reigned in death grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through jesus christ our lord in our introduction to three rivers class i i draw something called a cross chart it's not unique with me my take probably is a little different than some But the cross chart is is really, it's quite quite a simple visual presentation of what I expect to happen in the life of a Christian. What I expect our church's role to be in the life of a Christian. And it's a chart on a timeline. And the chart starts at the the spot of your conversion, at at the moment that you are able to understand and accept and receive the gospel. And we say that is day one of your salvation. And and often at day one of a person's salvation, there's usually some big thing that has happened. You've either uh, become conscious of some sin or some failure. Something has come to light that you've hidden from other people. And when it comes to light, you're like, oh, I can't believe that. And and yes, it's awful. And and, and you come face to face with it. That's often what happens. Sometimes it's not. With me, it was not. me, it was being raised in a family where I always just knew that God was there that jesus loved me but 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 day one uh i I have the human being down here and god up here and the cross bridging that gap uh that gap of sin and disconnect from god and and then i i draw out the timeline and i and i say this is kind of what i expected as a young man this is what i expected even unfortunately as a pastor that 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 mark hyper was going to get better and better and better god was going to stay the same because he's unchanging he doesn't have to learn anything he doesn't have to grow in any way and God's going to stay the same and Mark Kuyper's going to get better and better and better and little by little I I won't need that cross anymore I won't need the grace of God nearly as much as I felt that need that first day that first time I entrusted my life to him but then here's what happens here's what happens uh, when when we first come to christ it's it's we call it a childlike faith we 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 know some things about our god but over time when you study his word and his law he he, he becomes so much greater than you even could have imagined at day one and, and, and so when we sing songs, and in our worship, we, we focus our, our opening songs always on, on who God is and His glory. It is in this, it's in this effort to have an encounter with the living God where He's invited us in, and the first thing we see is, oh, my word is Isaiah. My eyes have seen, my, my lips have spoken. It, it, it is in that sense that the, the glory and the beauty and the holiness, the otherness of God grows. And so I found that in my own life, that, that God was actually greater than I ever thought, though he has been unchanging. My perception of him had grown. But simultaneously, another thing was happening. As I started studying his word and his law, I found I was much more sinful than I ever thought. I wasn't just doing the right thing. it was doing it the right way for the right reason. And so I, uh, this, this gap in in my perception between god and who i am would grow and so that happens in romans that's the expectation that 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 god will become greater and and if you are a believer in christ if you're following christ one of the one of the beautiful fruits of that should be a growth in humility and far too often I find people that walk with God a long time actually become less gracious and a bit more prideful. In some sense, they have this expectation that now I've done this and this and this for God and I don't use bad words anymore. Or what do we say in high school? I don't cuss or smoke or chew or go out with girls that do, right? Uh, so, so now uh, he, he's gonna receive me, yes, because of Christ, but, but also he's receiving me because of me. But when the gospel is fully presented, as the apostle has done here, we get to chapter 6, and we get to chapter 7 of Romans, and we are now free to look at the law of God. We are now free, in some sense, to open our hearts to the mirror of God's beauty and His glory, and to say, Oh, Father, I, I invite you, Oh, Spirit, I invite you Oh, brother and sister and community of Christ's followers, I invite you. For I know there is more darkness in my heart than I'm aware of. And you are gracious and patient, oh God, in pointing it out. And you use loving brothers and sisters and the, and the common, what we call the common means of grace, worship, preaching, teaching, Sacrament, you use those things to do that, so we get to chapter Five, and it is as if the apostle has breathed in this life to the church and to the people uh, this but now a righteousness from God has been revealed, a righteousness by faith and 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 so, in chapter six and seven, where we 've been the last couple of months, the apostle now is 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 speaking to Christian people and saying. What now should your relationship to the law of God look like? All right, so remember that. That is the context. Those who put their faith and trust in Christ Jesus, what is the law to do with me now? And so it's interesting the way he teaches in chapter six, verse one, he says, sweet, since since you know, since this cross chart he doesn't use those words, but but since this concept of as my sin is, is made known by the law and, and God's glory is made known by the law, that grace increases. So that's the question he asks in 6. Uh, since grace increases, should we not sin more? Right? I mean, that's his response. Like It, it seems ridiculous to us, but the, but the response would be, I'm living under grace now i don't need to know the law i don't need to study the law i'm not under law anymore i live under grace in fact the more i sin the greater his grace is right and so in in absolute definitive words he says no by no means god forbid uh and six five six fifteen. well do we sin because we're not under law but under grace same response by no means no way chapter 7, verse 7, is the law then sin? Is the law itself sin? No. And In chapter 7, he says, the law of God defines sin. And I encourage you believers to know and study the law of God. It is not how we are made righteous in His sight. By following it is no person declared righteous in His sight. But the law defines sin and it shows us what the lover and savior of our souls delights in. And so he uses these other illustrations, doesn't he? He's like the, a, a new spouse, a new master, right? He, he, he fleshes it all out. He says the law will define sin and how wonderful it is for our God to define sin for his beloved. The law provokes sin," he says. It, 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 sometimes it's that law in me. It's that indwelling sin that this provokes me to go against the Lord. And then the law condemns sin. And uh, so last week we were in verses 18 to 20, uh, where the apostle says, uh, "I know that nothing good dwells in me. that is in my flesh." The title of the message was "Christian Schizophrenia." He is he is describing the human being, and actually, he's describing himself. Um, He has switched the pronouns from you and your uh, to I and me. In seven, it his is it is his confession to the people that he intends to minister to. That I, Paul the apostle, who've been given such great revelation. I wrestle with the flesh that's what he calls it the flesh indwelling sin, and um so last week it's like I know that nothing good dwells in me that is he says in my flesh right he's not saying uh, that there's nothing good about me but but in in my flesh, in my animal instincts, in my rebellion against the Lord, and what is still uh, is still being worked out in this process of of being sanctified and purified he says for i desire to do what's right it's one of the reasons we know he's speaking about being a christian i desire to do what's right but not the ability to carry it out for i don't do the good i want but the evil i don't want to do it's what i keep on doing and in verse 20 now if i do what i do not want it's no longer i who do it but sin that dwells in me and so last week we ended Uh, really by by pointing out that he has said that the law is good, it is right, it is holy, it doesn't save me, Um, and yet there are still sinful desires living in me. Uh, What I think is wonderful again about this is it's the apostle's reflection of himself and his wrestling with living as a believer, Um, and, and the apostle is not pointing to a sinless perfection in this life and for some of us that can that can almost be dis, disheartening um but i've known people who have claimed i I've, I've gone to this point and i haven't sinned in 3 years or something like that they'll say and and my response always is i don't think you understand the nature and the depth of sin i don't i don't i don't think you understand that um and so when david and i or jake and i put our service together uh, we structure it always after uh, the structure that was given in the Old Testament. You're called into God's presence. Uh, you, you read the scriptures. You sing his word. Uh, you confess your sins. Now, the sacrificial system was done away with, so we don't make sacrifices, but we confess our sins. We hear the words of forgiveness and assurance, We lift up our heads to hear his word and then we depart being fully assured, having fed on the body and the blood of Christ. It's the way of life and I am thankful that the apostle has given it for us from his personal example. And so this morning, verses 21 to 25, it's really the conclusion of this whole section of how is a Christian then to live in relationship to the law? Romans 7, 21-25, if you're able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. So I find it to be a law that when I ought to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? From this body of death. stop right there. I've been a pastor 30 years, and I am, I am amazed at the compassion of our God, but I'm also amazed at how many times I've heard that prayer. So, if you get to that prayer, even today, if you get to that prayer, you're where God wants you. He's, he, the apostle is saying, I can't fight this on my own. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. This theme is all throughout Scripture, uh, not just in Romans, but in all of Paul's letters. He mentions some of this. In fact, whenever anyone in the Scriptures is talking about growth or writing a letter to Christians, they have this concept in mind, right? Every letter that goes out to Christians and hopefully every sermon that was ever preached by the Apostle Uh, calls people who don't know the Lord to put their faith and trust in Him, calls those who put their faith and trust in Him to greater depths of confession and assurance and service. Um, So I'm not going to read all the other passages. I I am going to talk about my dad. Uh, My dad passed away last year and I miss him every day. Uh, And he, probably along with every other youth leader uh, that, that lived in the 70s and 80s, uh, told the boys a story about two dogs. And so my dad had all kinds of great stories about boys especially. I don't know what he told my sisters. But he told my me and my brothers, told us lots of things. Um, we won't get into all of them, but this one was great. Son, every man is born with two dogs inside of him. Anybody ever heard this? <laughs> two dogs inside of him. You heard it, Bo? no. Every man's born with two dogs inside of him. One dog, just a rebellious mutt. He just, he just won't learn. He don't care what anybody says. He is, he is hell-bent on doing whatever he wants. No amount of coaxing or loving on him or discipline is going to do any good. That dog wants to kill you and rule. But son, a Christian man has another dog that lives inside of him, and that dog's a good dog. That dog uh, longs to—that uh, dog's probably a golden retriever. Uh, that that dog longs to please God, and at times just just can't believe that he belongs and is loved. And those two dogs, son, they live inside you, and they fight. they 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 will never ever let the other one win well then you know what the boy asks right hey dad hey dad um which one's gonna win and that's what my dad said the one that you feed the one that you feed is gonna win now that's the theology might be just a little off. There, you know, Dad was raised Salvation Army, and um, uh, but but there is a lot of truth to that, and it's something that we understand. Even if you watch The Emperor's New Groove, I love that scene with Kronk. Right, Kronk comes in, and what does he have on his shoulder? Right, he's got a little angel. Right, and then he's got the devil. Right, and I mean, as soon as that pops up, most human beings know exactly what's going on. Right, because most human beings have felt that. Some have not. There are are those who are lost, and and what what he talks about early in Romans, of a depraved mind and incapable of discerning what is good and what is evil. They have have lost it. Most human beings, even if you are not a Christian, have these vestiges of the image of God inside of us that most of them wrestle. The good side and the bad side. And so he is closing this section where he has talked about it in so many different ways. And, and this morning, I, I want to highlight just the end, really, where he, he has these two cries. But I want you to know that this section ends and many commentators say it, it, should, have, it should not have ended here. It should end in, in Romans chapter 8. But we get to get in Romans chapter 8 in a couple of weeks. And um, just just so you know, if these sermons have been hard, Romans chapter 8 has this overarching theme. The absolute security of the children of God. And, and, And again, it makes sense logically in the flow of thought. He is dealing with the wrestling of his heart. And every Christian goes through this at times. They, they entrust themselves to God. They're so in love with God. And then the fear comes, will he ever leave me? Will God ever reject me? Oh, he's been so kind. He's been so gracious. Will he ever reject me? I've done this. I've thought this. Will he ever reject me? And that's the beauty of Romans chapter 8. It, it follows this wrestling with this strong reminder of when God adopts you, he adopts you. When you are his, he will not let you go. But this morning, as we close this section, chapter 7, the sermon and sentence this morning is the Christian in their battle with the sinful nature must never, ever lose sight of their Savior. In this text, we have him kind of outlining these two laws. He goes back to really those two egos. And we end with these two cries. First, he talks about these two Laws. Verse 21. I find it to be a law that when I want to do it right, evil lies close. Verse 22. But I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members this other law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So quite simply, what he is saying is there are these there are these competing laws. Now think about law as he's using it in this context, kind of like the law of gravity right he is he is saying that there is a way of dealing with things there is a way that things play out and the law of sin wants to kill you wants to take life away from you it it exists still it indwells in the heart of a christian and they battle with it and different denominations and theological structures will deal with this in different ways i remember coming home from camp once and we had the this chart and i came home and i said dad i was i found out this week i was a cardinal christian he's like i think you mean carnal christian i'm like okay what's that mean he goes well it ain't right you're not a cardinal christian there are no two types of christians there are those that are in christ and those who aren't in christ and and you know that old dog you've been fighting uh he he's gonna he's gonna be there till jesus finally puts that spear in him and he's done right but but christian denominations and people deal with it in different ways Uh, the monastics would, would go and they would try to take every possible sinful temptation away. I read some of the desert fathers. Have you ever read those? There was a guy that lived for like 20 years on top of a post in the desert. They'd bring him food up and... What was he trying to do? He was trying to defeat indwelling sin. Maybe if I'm away from other people. Maybe if I turn off the TV... (laughs) <laughs> if I quit reading my Bible, I won't feel so sinful anymore. Um, there are two laws. There is uh, the law of sin, and it is the way of sin. It, it, uh, it, it feeds the pride of life and the boasting of who we are. And the sad thing is, uh, sometimes the law of sin is sinister enough to take the law of God and tell us, you are right and you have, the, you have the authority to demand things from God because you have done what is right. That is the paradigm of the law of sin. We earn, we receive, we, we listen to self, we follow at all costs our heart, our feelings, our emotions. Um, it is the law of sin that promises one thing and then gives another. And then there is the law of God. Um, and and it's, it's hard for us to get this because the law of God, when you think about the law of God being a relationship paradigm, it is the opposite of the way we deal with one another. Right? You, you meet a person, and what do, you, what do you want to present to that person? If you're interested in, in friendship with that person, you want to present your best self. Right, You want them to know all the good that there is about you. And you're hoping that they'll see that and, and you'll have this friendship. And, and then as years go by, uh, you may at some point uh, betray them or sin against them or take advantage of them or forget something. And what do you do? You go back and say, you know, but all these years, I remembered your birthday. <laughs> all these years, I did these things. Don't you think I'm afforded a little grace? I don't know. You think maybe I deserve maybe just a you know a little bit of ease up on me. I, you know I've got 17 years of doing this. That's how human relationships work. The relationship with God, the law of God is completely different. The law of God says God Almighty wants you, and He knows more dirt on you than you know on yourself, and He says. I want you. Oh, I know what it's going to cost me. You have no idea how much, what it's going to cost me. And yet I want you. And so the law of God is a law of grace. It is is a, a law of humility. It is a law of peace, security, comfort. I have given, I have entrusted my whole self to him. When we get to Romans 8, there's the audacity to say, is there anyone who will bring a charge against God's elect? Christ has died. Oh, I love that. You are in Him. That's the law of God. In 8.2, a- they call it the law of the spirit of life. So all these different laws and the way they're uh, described here um, fall really under those two categories. The law of sin and the law of God. Now, those laws represent the two egos that we see in verses 22 and 23. Uh, there is the child, in verse 22, that delights in the law of God. He says, in my inner being and you know my soul, I delight in the law of God. It is, it is what I want to be. Uh, and further on in verse 23, it says, it's the law of my mind. And, and uh, it, it is the child so you hear me say that all the time. Are you living as, a, as an adopted child or are you living as an orphan? Uh, the law of God confirms to God's children in my inner being, in my mind, that I belong to Him. 2 Corinthians 4 talks about this. Ephesians 3 talks about this. The other ego is the slave. Uh, in those same verses, in the in the in the in the Greek, the antithesis between the I who loves the Lord and the I who fights and wages war in the members of my body is, is is crystal clear. He is he is talking about himself, and even in himself, there are these two battling egos. The other one is the we call it the slave, uh, waging war, uh, and the sin that indwells in his. Body. The slave, trapped and ruled, afraid, insecure, angry, isolated, judging, addicted. The slave that battles against the spirit. The law of sin, it keeps us or wants us to return to slavery. Sometimes it shows up in the life of believers. Slave to sin. We've talked about that already, that there are amongst the Christian brothers at times, those who want to redefine the law of God so that it might be kept. Because they are a slave. As Chairman would say, Carl Truman would say, they are a slave to their modern self. A slave to the opinions of others, a slave to their jobs, a slave to their kids' sports, to their friends, to their sexual cravings. They misuse the law of God. They are slaves. We see it in Israel being freed, wandering the desert saying, we don't like this freedom. Take us back to Egypt. But in the believer, there are two cries. I'm going to end with this in verses 24 to 25. These two cries. Verse 24, this first cry, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? We cry this. Christians, we cry this out to our Father, not because we're afraid of His wrath, but primarily because we love Him. We have an increasing awareness of the awfulness of our sin and the glory of our God. Wretched man that I am, will you deliver me from this body of death? The second cry is the cry of the adopted child that says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's beautiful that he's ending the chapter with this. You're going to have the the law of God. You don't set it aside. You know it. it. It does its work in you. And when it does its work in you, Paul is saying, as I have, there have been these moments where I have felt almost ready to give up. The sinful battle, the flesh, the cravings, uh, they they, they seem at times, whenever I want to do something right, that it's right there. John Stott says it this way. Uh, Whenever I do good, right there next to me is the evil wanting to undo it. The adopted child cries out, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. In conclusion, I put in the notes there the immovable verse 25. Uh, There are commentators who have said that this can't be the Apostle Paul. This must be him talking about the past tense before he knew Christ. And the greater problem they have is verse 25. And so they will try and move verse 25, especially the end. They'll try to move it. So you read critical commentaries um, and not just the ones we would call liberal theologians, but critical commentaries. And they say it's got to be misplaced and yet there's no textual warrant for that. There are no manuscripts that show that. Um, but what does verse 25 say? How does it end? Let's look at this ending with me. I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. The apostle is saying when I exist in the flesh all that is defined by that, the law of sin and rebellion, the orphan mentality. When I am existing in that state, I am serving the law of sin. And let me tell you, 30 years as a pastor, Christians fall into serving the law of sin. I think something the worst thing anybody could ever say about our church is that they're hypocrites. I'm like, we can't be hypocrites. If you looked at our liturgy, the leaders get up every week and confess their sins like I mean it, we can't it, it doesn't uh, hypocrisy and grace don't exist together in our flesh we can serve the evil one in our flesh we can feed that dog and its evil desires and horrible things can be done I know people that have left the Christian faith because Christians have hurt them And I often say it's that, you know, the Christian that hurt you, uh, they're not okayed by what they've done. Grace doesn't say they're done. Forgiveness doesn't say it was okay. Forgiveness says Christ himself paid for that, for the believer. But in, but in my spirit, In my spirit, I serve the law of God with my mind. Two dogs, oh Christian, one is being killed by the Holy Spirit. It is being deprived of its power every time the gospel is preached. Its ability to confuse and define us is is relinquished when we spend time with our Savior. It will often bark and claw louder and without rest. But the other one is being renewed more and more into the image of our Savior, Jesus Christ. The late Tim Keller wrote concerning this passage, Before you know Christ, you are in a battle that you cannot win. When you know Christ, you are in a battle that you cannot lose. But you are still in a battle. We do not lose heart, for Christ himself stands on our behalf. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and its clarity into the struggle. May we now be prepared to partake of the sacrament with renewed joy and with steadfast security that our standing with you does not depend on have we figured out every possible sin? Have we even this day remembered everything that we have done and have we brought it before you? No, our standing before you will always be. Am I in Christ? Am I united to him by faith? Do I trust in him for my salvation? His blood, it was spilled on my behalf and all my sins known and unknown. Past, present, and future were covered by His precious blood. Therefore, Father, may we not lose heart. For the new King and the great King and the almighty King has ruled in the favor of His beloved Son, and His Son has called us to Himself. O oh, Lord Jesus, thank you oh father thank you O oh, spirit will you feed will you feed our inner soul and our self the power of your gospel and your grace and may we even father be blessed in this life and even in the next few months for some of us to to be aware of an increasing death to the power of the flesh and give you the glory We ask this in Jesus' name for His sake. Amen.